Welcome to the Radical Reverend Show, your host, uh, Sherry DeNovo, as always. And uh, yes, you can hear us on the radio, our normal time on CIUT 89.5 FM. And by the way, uh, fundraising's coming up, so do give. We're the only alternative radio station left in the GTA, uh, so do uh, give generously because, uh, hey, this is the only station you can hear Democracy Now! on, among other things, and the Radical Reverend. Uh, and of course, on podcast, iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I've got the uh, left, left, or leftist panel coming up on the show, but first, delighted to have uh, journalist extraordinaire, um, Nora Loretto. So, Nora, welcome to the Radical Reverend Show again. Yes, thank you for having me back. <laughs> uh, so, what sparked me inviting you on this time was uh, an article you wrote um, about the Greens potentially joining with the NDP. And this came out after their leadership race, of course, where Dimitri came in a very close second, uh, who was definitely an eco-socialist, um, uh, put forward some left-wing views, which we're not used to hearing from Green leadership, uh, and uh, and seemed to, to mark you know, a shift in the party just generally. Um, so first of all, just for people who haven't seen the article or read it, can you tell us a little bit about your argument there? Yeah, um, I, I argued that when you've got, you know, as a socialist who's not partisan, uh, but who engages in partisan politics, um, you know, I'm active within Quebec Solidaire in Quebec. Uh, I think that it's very important for us to look at these these moments where, uh, where, you know, someone who says, hey, I'm a socialist, I'm an eco-socialist, I want to run and win for this party. Uh, socialists really have to look and say, okay, like, you know, where, where's this person's politics then on the, on the spectrum of what's kind of acceptable within partisan politics. And I think that Dimitri's campaign really showed um, that not only can you run an audacious left-wing program, uh, but you can come close to winning. And, um, and, and Dimitri, like he attracted a lot of new people to the party, but he's comes from the Green Party. I mean, like he's not a, a recent newcomer. The guy has run many times to the Greens. He's been a member since 2007. And like a lot of people who I certainly um, met in the, in the early uh, 10s, 2010s, who's radicalized around Occupy. And so I found that very, um, they spoke a lot to the kind of the, the, the people that I know who might have been liberals or might have been like kind of right-wing NDPers who were radicalized around that moment at Occupy. And of course we spent so much time at the camp at the time I was in Toronto. And, um, and so I argued like, if we've got this kind of discussion that's happening at the, the leadership level of the, N, of the, of the Greens, and if you look at the last NDP leadership race, we had you know Nikki Ashton who was putting forward very left-wing ideas as well. Uh, what is the point that we still have these two parties um, basically working against one another? Um, and I think that in this in this relationship, the NDP is obviously stronger, um, but the Greens and I think a lot of NDP members kind of resist this reality. But the Greens have a really strong brand. You know, you can call them like eco-capitalists, you can call them right-wing green people, whatever you want, but the brand of the Green Party, I think for average people is very strong. I know a lot of people who, if they're mad at the NDP, they'll just default to the green and because they just like, well, they're just the greens, they're good, right? And, and I think that that's a really big stumbling block and I, and I don't see 
a way for the NDP or the Greens to realize what both parties express on the environment with the existence of the other party out there. I mean, I, I, I hear you and I resonate. Um, I, I'm going to push back a little bit on, on two fronts. Uh, first of all, on the NDP front, uh, we've got uh, premiers uh, like Rachel Notley, who is in bed with big oil and gas. We've got even Horgan, who's, you know, uh, not on the right side of the fracking issue, not on the right side with the wet suetin. So, uh, so there's that. Uh, on one side. And then on the green side, there's, you know, this kind of libertarian kind of, as you said, capitalist streak that runs through them that, you know, capitalism is going to solve this, you know, we just, you know, we get get some brilliant technologists somehow, and we're going to like invent our way around it, um, without changing the political structure. And also, um, you know, the class analysis is completely lacking in the Green Party. It's almost completely lacking in the NDP, in the leadership, to be fair. Um, but there is this groundswell rank and, rank, and, rank and file in the NDP and plus their union backing, which I've always said the, the NDP at its worst, at least is Canada's Labour Party, quotes and quotes, which, yeah. you know, the Labour Party leadership itself can be criticized and, and largely right these days. But um, at least there's that. So what would you say to those two concerns? Yeah, I think that what we have to look at is that both parties have kind of a scatter across the political spectrum, really. Um, the, the the membership of the NDP, I think, is is in general further to the left than the leadership of the NDP or the people that, that maybe make the day-to-day decisions. Um, and I think that the leadership of uh, uh, the campaign of, of Dimitri Lascaris shows that there's, there's a, probably a bit of a similar effect within the Green Party as well. And so then the question becomes, well, as leftists, how do we bring everybody together? Because a lot of people say, well, the, the, the solution is actually a new party because these parties are just totally rotten. And I'm sympathetic to that. But th- there are like, we, you know, there are a lot of benefits as well to having parties that have had power before or have that institutional knowledge or have that relationship to labor. And so I look at it a lot as um, as I saw the uh, merger between Quebec Solidaire and Option Nationale in Quebec, which were two political parties that came out of very different circumstances. The Quebec Solidaire came out of uh, social movement organizing and was the union between an old socialist party uh, which actually has its roots in the NDP Quebec uh, under Paul Rose, which the NDP did not like, the NDP National did not like, so they were unaffiliated with the NDP National. This is the early 1990s. Um, and then, uh, and, and the women's movement, and, and the women's movement through a, a citizen organization called Option Citoyenne, they formed, they created Quebec Solidaire in 2006. Option Nationale was like disaffected Pequists who were mad that the Parti Québécois wasn't doing independence fast enough. Um, and so in the first election where these two parties ran against each other, there was incredible animosity. And I was involved in that election in 2012. And you just look at the folks from Option Nationale being like, oh, you're just a bunch of independent racists that don't care about the social question. Right. And Option Nationale would be like, oh, Quebec Solidaire doesn't actually care about independence. All they care about is the social question. But eventually what, what, what happened by the time we got to the 2014 election, the, 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 the platforms of the parties were so similar that it was really clear that we had to deal with one another. And in Quebec City, what that did, uh, we would, you know, Quebec Solidaire would get 17, 18, 19% uh, in the election. You know, we'd, we'd do very well. And it was we, downtown Quebec City, we could win this. But Upset National got a consistent 8%, 7%. And we were always drawing on the same kind of people. But what we realized when, when there was the merger was Upset National's strength was actually it had access, access to a completely different world of thinking. Uh, and it was mostly artists. 
Um, I don't, that's not the same with the NDP Greens in terms of, of art and bringing art into the parties. But I do think that it is similar in terms of the green question, because like, you know, the, the, the both parties have positive and negative policies when it comes to green issues, right? As you say, absolutely. Horgan's support for fracking, Rachel Notley being more of a liberal than an NDPer. Like, where is the opposition within the party to that kind of mentality? Well, it actually might be within the rank and file of the Green Party. That actually could be where that opposition is. Um, and 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 if we got past this roadblock of, oh, we're very different, we could never come together, these are totally different parties. I think that people would be very surprised to see what that, what you'd say in French, a rapport des forces, the, the power of bringing people together would, would build. And I get very frustrated with seeing people that say, oh, well, but the Greens don't need enough of the NDP support. And so it's not really about that. It isn't about stacking support. It's about bringing people together who have never worked together because they've always been in different camps because they found themselves in one or the other party for whatever reason. And sometimes that reason is a beef. Sometimes that reason is just geographic because you just don't have an NDP that's like viable, right? Look at New Brunswick or, or PEI for an example. And, um, and, and, but you still have really good green politicians, green good green activists, in the same way that you've got good NDP politicians, good NDP activists. So why wouldn't you bring them together? What is the fundamental thing that separates those two those two parties ideologically? And my argument, and I haven't really seen anyone be able to be like, well, huh, actually, you're wrong, is that they're not fundamentally that much different. And what the benefit of a left-wing force merger of the party brings is that all of those right-wing Greens, all of the right-wing NDP who are really, really upset that they don't think that they're going to win if we talk about socialism, maybe they'll get smart and realize they're liberals. <laughs> maybe they'll get smart and realize they're conservatives, right? And then we actually form something new. Like, this is an era where we need to form something new. I think that that is very clear. And I know that the NDP clings to that end, but like... The party is not new, right? The party is an old party. And so how do we take this political spirit on the ground of people who have been unaligned or, or, or disenfranchised by partisan politics and create something that's new and exciting? Hey, I remember saying during the, uh, the Mulcair era that uh, we weren't new, we weren't democratic, and nobody was having much of a party. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> uh, speaking here on the Radical Reverend Show to Nora Loretto, uh, a journalist out based in Quebec City, but uh, really, you know, national in scope. Uh, and we're talking about her suggestion, uh, her article about, uh, which is, of course, not her own. I mean, others have talked about this uh, merging of the Green Party and the NDP. Um, uh, you know, as a as an NDP veteran here, I, I can say that, um, first of all, I was a, I'm totally a Nikki's gal. I mean, I think she's great. She's mm -hmm. our voice in Ottawa, without a doubt. Um, the, the, the problem is the back room of parties, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? The, and the problem, the, the ideological problem in the NDP is that they want to replace the Liberal Party. This has been a, a, a stream in the NDP thinking for so long that we want to be like the UK. We want just the two parties. You want the Labour Party and, and, and the CPs and, and then, you know, we'll have. And, and this is why you get these weird, you know, friendships, uh, you know, with CP and NDP, you know, the enemy of my enemy kind of thing. Um, uh, and it's it's really uh, not constructive, but, mm. but we keep moving these people around, you know, um, because occasionally we win and then when we win we get the Bob Rays, the Rachel Notleys and the Horgans um, which mm, yeah I mean so we won great um, so that if it's only only about winning this is how you turn off a whole generation of activists and people who 
don't don't care about partisanship, really care about principles and really care about action and mm-hmm. are socialists and and they're they've got nowhere to go right so um interesting um i i want to like just segue because we've just got a few minutes left with you and uh, i want to make use of them of course the whole world is talking about the debate last night uh and on the left the the debate among socialist quarters is of course you've got by have you got i mean both these candidates are in the pocket of wall street we get that um and interestingly enough um one could argue i guess uh, that you know, labor's behind Biden. So when mm-hmm. I use that other argument about the Labor Party, um, uh, and you heard, you know, both of them supporting fracking and both of them dissing on socialized medicine, blah blah blah. So there's this argument of kind of lesser evilism coming out of the left, and then there's the argument of just vote the dictator out, you know, and then work on Biden. Where do you fall in that? Yeah, I think that um, Trump's performance last night uh, was a really good reminder of how absolutely dangerous he is. Like the way that he talked about the, the the children whose parents they cannot locate who are in immigration detention is like we are talking about super villain level fascist. And um, I, I, I'm one of these people that I don't really care if people vote or not. I'm not really a die hard, get to the polls and that's how we change the world. And so when you don't really care about voting all that much, I don't really see why you would then make a point to vote against Biden. (laughs) Um, I think that if, you know, if I was living in a place that was hardcore Democrat, I would have no problem voting against Biden. Um, But there's no question that Trump needs to go. And I think that, you know, there was this debate between Chomsky and and Brianna uh, Greyjoy, uh, Greyjoy in the United States on her podcast. And it was very weird because, like, I, I don't think that we can argue that Biden is as bad as Trump. I think that Biden represents what we understand sucks about the United States, right? Everything that is bad about the United States is encapsulated in, in, in Biden. Everything that is bad about fascism is encapsulated in Trump. And so, I mean, is there a difference between the modern United States and a fascist state? Yes, there is still a difference. And so if you have any ability to influence who then controls this state, like obviously you should be voting for Biden. I think that that is clear. That makes the most sense. Um, Fighting Trump is very hard and it's going to, it has been deadly. It will be more deadly. It will be more difficult. Uh, There will be violence. Um, Fighting Biden is going to be hard too, but but you won't necessarily be jailed for your political beliefs under a democratic president, right? And I think, and this is where I think Chomsky is, is the most uh, correct, what we really do have to think of is the environment, that, that we have a, an, a climate accelerationist in Trump versus Biden, who already has bent a little bit to um, environmentalist demands um, and can be pushed further and, 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 right? Like there's just so much more opportunity for us to, to win with Biden and so much more opportunity for us to literally be shot in the head by Trump. And so I like, it's, it's not that like theoretically concretely, it's really not a debate that I'm very confused over. Um, I'm sympathetic to people like hating Biden. I think that the guy is a complete joke. And I think anyone that says that this guy's the, the picture of like presidential glory is like out to lunch. Um, but, but again, like Trump has demonstrated just how much more terrible he is and his literal presence, his literal presence causes violence, right? The shooting at the mosque in Quebec city in 2017 was caused by someone who 
six weeks earlier was 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 present at a mall to commit commit a mass shooting at a mall and he 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 chickened out so with quote unquote he he decided not to do it and he decided to do it at the mosque six weeks later because of the comments that he'd heard from Donald Trump and so you know we cannot forget like the difference of scale that we are talking about here and um and and fighting the United States' status quo, I think, is something that leftists do very well and can continue to do. Fighting a fascist United States government. I mean, yeah, if you're really inter- interested in like uh, dystopian sci-fi and you want to live that, okay, but uh, I think it's better if we don't. <laughs> yeah, and and I, and also uh, radical Reverend here, Sherry Denovo, speaking to Nora Loretto, um, and 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 also I think uh, what that conversation really leaves out are blacks, Latinos, queers, people whose lives are in danger now. And um, and will be increased danger with with Trump, you know, point two. So um, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Thank you so much, Nora, for being on the show. And uh, we're going to move next to our political panel and discuss this and other topics. But thanks so much for the work you do. Take no problem. Care. Take care. Welcome back to the Radical Reverend Show, and here we have our political panel. We've got the two A's today. We've got Andrea Houston and Alex Grant, uh, both uh, journalists. Uh, Andrea, uh, journalist for a number of publications, columnist uh, in the past for Extra, Alex, uh, editor of Fightback magazine, and uh, hearts are left, left, or leftist panel. What can I say? And we sure need it because there's a lot of right writer, rightist panels going on out there in the world today. Um, let's start with what we just heard. We just heard uh, Nora Loretta um, talking about her article uh, uh, where she talks about, you know, why the Greens and NDP should merge. Uh, who knows what that name might be? But this is on the, um, the heels of the Green leadership campaign where you had a substantial number of Greens voting for eco-socialism and for an overtly socialist agenda, actually more socialist in many ways than um, than NDP agendas, although those of us who supported Nikki Ashton in the last uh, round um, were all about that too. Um, so let's start in on that. Um, uh, Alex, why don't we start with you? Uh, uh, what about a potential merging of, of Green, the Green Party into the NDP? Uh, actually, if you don't mind, I, I want to start just on the significance of the Lascaris vote. Oh, sure. That it, it is very interesting that 10,000 people, 45% of the Green leadership uh, election, voted for an eco-socialist, talking about... Uh, opposition to capitalism and social ownership, nationalization, uh, and and solving the environmental crisis by socialist means. That is very significant. And normally you'd expect that to be in the NDP. Like if you think about the waffle from the 1970s, then uh, movements like this would normally be expressed in the NDP. So it it is very interesting that it's uh, coming up in the Greens. And to my view, this is symptomatic that there is a desire for radical socialist, eco-socialist change in society. And because of the NDP bureaucracy, 
because of the disappointing politics of the NDP leadership, this pressure has found an outlet in the Greens. Um, I, I, it's the interesting thing that I, I read Nora's article. Actually, I, I wrote an article too a few days before Nora uh, that sort of contrasted uh, this situation, that why is it happening in the Greens? But, but I think the approach about an electoral unity uh, between the Greens and the NDP at this stage is the wrong approach. It is too electoralist. Because at the moment, a unity between the Greens and the NDP is actually unity between the, the right-wing leadership of the NDP and the right-wing leadership of the Greens. Anna May Paul is, you know, uh, it, she, she is your classical conservative composter uh, that people make fun of the Greens for. She is your, your establishment Green. Uh, the the, the eco-socialists almost won, but they didn't win. And we have to emphasize on socialism. Like I, I, I am all in favor of uniting green and NDP socialists, but uh, an alliance, an electoral alliance is an alliance between the two right-wing leaderships and that ain't gonna go anywhere. Interesting, uh, Andrea, weigh in, what do you think? I, I agree similarly. Um, I think that this conversation would have been one to have a serious discussion on um, if Dimitri had won. Um, I, I think that, Anime Paul, uh, while I, as a black woman, I certainly was was rooting for uh, representation, but her politics uh, just aren't where the eco-socialist discussion begins. Um, you know, she, I mean, just looking at Palestine, I mean, she was ranked, I think, the lowest, uh, even below Glenn Murray for, for her support for Palestinian justice issues. Um, you know, and you, you pointed out Quite rightly, Sherry, that you know, under the under the NDP, you know, we don't have um, enough people, enough people in leadership who are willing to champion this cause, this eco-socialist cause. You know, Nikki Ashton is is kind of an outlier, unfortunately. Um, but I I think that this is if you know, in in a different world, in a different universe, where Dimitri had a one, then yes, I think that we sh definitely should have had this conversation. Um, and maybe looking ahead to a, a different gre green leader in another generation, we might be able to have this conversation. But um, the problem is we, the, the left is so fractured and without electoral reform, without proportional representation, we're never going to win. Um, not that winning is everything, but in order to have, uh, you know, in order to come together around an eco-socialist agenda uh, to fight the climate crisis, this existential crisis of our time, um, we're, we're never gonna do it as long as we have first past the post and we have a very consolidated conservative party uh, uh, in this country and if they consolidated uh, a generation ago from the reforms, um, that they did exactly what we we're talking about doing with the left and it worked for them. Um, so, but we can't have this discussion because we don't have Dimitri at the helm of the Greens and, and we don't un unfortunately have enough eco-socialists at the helm of the NDP. Yeah, I, my, in my impression um, in talking to her and reading the article, this is aspirational for sure. Um, this is, I mean, it's clearly not going to happen with the current leadership anyway, even if, you know, we all thought it was a good thing to happen. It's not going to happen because um, it, because it really is about winning right now for the NDP leadership. Yeah. And they certainly don't think that an association with the Greens is going to help that. Um, and, and I think, you know, for whatever strategic reason, I think they're 
they're actually wrong, but um, I, I think it probably would help them get elected, but I, but it's just not gonna happen. It's not in the cards for them. And, and that's pretty clear. So um, I probably, um, it. but what about this, this sense? And, and Alex, you pointed to this, of, you know, I mean, there's a substantial desire for, uh, you know, there's a substantial desire out there for socialism. There's a substantial desire out there to talk about the existential crisis of our time, as Andrea said. Um, and there's a, a there's a you know among um, and yes, it is a generational, but not entirely. I mean, I, I I think there is a desire among many rank and file NDPers um, to move on this and. It's always been stymied. Um, it's just been stymied, and now we're in a in a, in a BC election where Horgan is almost sh sure to win. Um, um, what choice is there really? Uh, but I mean, this is a person who supports fracking and who's you know. So yeah. so where where are we at when when you know it's you know one for all and all for one kind of mentality in a party, and there and that's not allowed. And and I'm going to throw this at you, Andrew, because. Um, because you've worked there, I've worked there, and we've kind of, you know, come up against it. I've always justified uh, the NDP as, you know, as our Labour Party. Um, but, you know, as I said to Nora, you know, when you see Joe Biden was got Labour leadership, you know, supporting him, um, it's kind of losing its luster a little bit, and even north of the border it is. So, um, what do we need to do to uh, to make the NDP what it should be, and there and thereby attract um, the people that have voted for Dimitri? Let's put it that way. I mean, labor is 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 the 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 widening gulf between these two parties, right? It's the labor issue, but particularly with the NDP, um, the with good reason, allegiance to, to labor rights and allegiance to unions is what actually keeps the eco-socialism out of the party because so much of, of, of labor is attached to um, what is happening on the ground. And we look at issues like fossil fuels as a perfect example. Why can't the NDP get behind banning fracking? Why can't the NDP get behind, you know, uh, moving towards uh, uh, actually maybe nationalizing our, our fossil fuel and extraction companies, you know, finding a way to actually pull together uh, progressives to move an agenda towards um, towards zero emissions. Well, we can't do that because because of the unions, because so many unions that that represent workers within fossil fuel companies are really pushed back against this because of jobs. And I, I'm not sure how we're going to cross this gulf, frankly, because in, unless we take a hard stand, talk about things like nationalizing companies, um, we're never going to. Uh, we're never going to have a true eco-socialist agenda within the NDP. And I'm sorry, but this is, what the, this is what young activists want. You know, young activists want the NDP to get this together. They want us to put prioritize the, the, the environmental crisis ahead of, of labor issues in some, in some cases. Now we have to find a common ground, it's an, an, an intersectional lens, an intersectional justice lens on climate and labor and class and race, that's what we need. And, and, and the NDP has not done it yet and, they, and we need to find a way to do that. Alex. When 71% of all emissions are done by the top 100 corporations, there is no capitalist solution to the environmental crisis. And we need a party that says that clearly. Now, I, I don't care whether it's the NDP, the Greens or something new. I don't care. But there needs to be a socialist, anti-capitalist option on the ballot box. 
and and Lascaris uh, and his 10,000 supporters can play an important role in forming that. Now, I, I don't think you're going to get there by talking about electoral deals today. I think, and, and actually, again, I put this in my article on Marxist.ca, that uh, the Lascaris uh, campaign needs to reach out to socialists generally and uh, to socialists in the NDP, socialists in the unions, and so unaffiliated socialists, and say, this is what we need. We do need this form of party. It, it really doesn't matter where it comes from. We'll bring all the socialists together and, uh, and, and put forward these ideas. The emphasis needs to be on socialist ideas, not what the explicit vehicle is. And then see how many people come in that big tent See, see if you can win a majority in the NDP. See if you can win a majority in the Greens for those ideas. See how many new people come along and then see what can be formed because people are sick of the status quo and tinkering at the edges ain't going to cut it. But what about Andrea's point about Labour? I believe she's right. I remember debating the head of the Alberta uh, Labour um, Conference on this, and we didn't even talk about mining, which, of course, not only here, but is a you know colonialist imperialist power around the world. Exactly. And that's where Bay Street is based, in essence, on, on extraction industries. As a class-based socialist, um, we want to appeal to the rank and file in the unions. Um, do you really think there's support, Alex, um, in the rank and file of those industries for a socialist alternative, if it means um, nationalizing their companies and you know taking over? Nationalization is actually the way to link jobs with the environment, that you take it under contro control of the working class, you guarantee the jobs, and you transition to environmentally sustainable energy and production under control of the workers themselves. Workers don't want to pollute. They want a sustainable environment. But only through nationalization, workers control, can you guarantee that those jobs and decent, safe jobs will be uh, protected. Be interesting to know. Andrea, you wanted to jump I in. just don't, I think that I agree. I, I just don't think that we can have this discussion with political parties in Canada being as fractured as they are. You know, we have first past the post, which is this archaic system that, that prioritizes um, populist parties and, and the conservatives have this figured out. They have gamed this system. Um, and, and unfortunately the progressives, you know, haven't, they, we, we, we are, um, we are fractured between three if you consider the liberals progressive, um, we're, we're fractured between three parties. I mean, I even see liberals who I think will probably fit better into maybe the NDP or the Greens, but, you know, clearly have ran as liberals because they win. Um, and but they're unfortunately not pushing their own party to do to do more to take on more left wing policies. Um, we our political system is broken, and until we fix our political system, we're not going to be able to consolidate under a progressive agenda, an eco socialist uh, agenda, or so have socialist policies take move to the forefront. It's I, I, the, I mean, all you have to do is look at what happened under Mulcair, those those dark years in the NDP when when NDP moved so far right that uh, they alienated many of the of the progressive activists within the party. Including myself. <laughs> <laughs> so on, on that cheery note, <laughs> let's move uh, for a minute because the whole world, of course, is talking about one thing politically and certainly that is the debate 
the last of the debates before the election down south of the border. So, Alex, uh, quick thoughts on what happened last night and what will happen in the election. And as you heard, uh, I spoke to Nora, too, about um, the notion of lesser evilism um, versus get rid of the fascist. Talk about that. Um, Well, I I think the debate was uh, uh, not as horrendous as the previous one, but it was still fairly boring. And uh, polls are saying that Biden's going to win. Who knows? Probably going to win. But who knows? Yes, the question for us and the real what the de- left is talking about is lesser evilism, whether the left should hold its nose and vote for Biden. And I say no, absolutely no. And the reason we are in the choice between Biden and Trump, this terrible, terrible choice between Satan and Beelzebub, that is because the left has fallen for lesser evilism again and again and again. And we cannot. United States needs its own socialist Labour Party. That's what it needs. It needs to be built today, yesterday, tomorrow, 10 years ago. Uh, Bernie could have built it in 2016. And, and Bernie would be probably top of the polls right now as the presidential candidate of that socialist Labour Party. That... Uh, this falling for Biden, falling for that, is what stops us actually building something good. And we have terrible, terrible choices in front of us. But what about, uh, just what about history? What about uh, German socialists and communists who uh, said, oh, well, Hitler's just, you know, he's just a Donald, the Donald Trump of his day. He's just an idiot. Uh, he's not going to be any worse than, you know, the, the basically the the the, the middle way uh, social democratic uh, options at, of the day, and uh, then proceeded to be rounded up and sent to concentration camps uh, head of, head of that. I, I mean, Nora's point, and I think the point that Chomsky's made and others is that there is a difference between fascism and this version of capitalism. Yes, uh, capitalism will trend to fascism if pushed, absolutely. But I mean, I say get rid of Donald Trump and then let's put the pressure on Biden. Andrea, what do you say? Yeah, I mean, my, my heart is with Alex, but my head is is, is with you. I mean, like, I, I, I agree. Obviously, on, on a very theoretical level, uh, politically, yeah, of course I agree. You know, like I agree. We should be re- revolting. We should like the United States should be should be heading towards a revolution. Like there's no there's no changing within this corrupt, uh, broken system. You know, like the idea of Bernie starting his own party is like hype dream. I mean, I, I can't even I can't even fantasize about how the what kind of political capital would be needed to to come to, to create a new party and then have it be on par with political power with the Democrats and the Republicans who have generations of cheating and, and gerrymandering and 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 under their belt. Um, I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure what the answer is. I mean, I do think that you know, my head says, yeah, we, you know, the choice is between democracy and fascism. You know, make your choice. And as and as Nora accurately pointed out, that if you live in a state where Biden is probably going to win, like California or New York, one of those you know strong blue states, then yeah, make a make a political point with your ballot and write write in Bernie and AOC or whatever, right? Write it whatever you want to do. Um, that's fine. But if you if you live in one of these so-called purple states or places where it's uh, it's you know like Arizona or Florida that are 
going to decide the election, then I, I, I think you have to look to the most marginalized people in the country and who's going to be, who's going to suffer. Um, and it's not us. It's not like white middle-class privileged people, right? It's, it's, it's you know, the, the most marginalized people are going to die because, because of this man. And I think that you have hold your nose and vote for Biden. It sucks. But uh, to save lives, I think that that's what needs to be done. It is, is, is kind of interesting um, in kind of the midst of the pandemic, too, and we'll talk to, to that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, certainly what I've heard from the, the queer community is, you know, I'm sorry, but life's on the line. Yeah. And I, I, I want to survive here. And um, and. and that's that's my my issue, um, and certainly for many uh, people of color and, and racialized people, kids in cages. Like we got it, like the kids in cages alone. Yeah, that was to, to me a moment uh, where true fascism showed its true face. You know, um, is the kids are being really well cared for. Yeah, yeah. What did he? Didn't he say at one point when, when they said, "Are you going to reunite the kids?" And he's and and a number of kids have been uh, taken from their parents, and he said, "Good." Good. Yeah, but who put in the cages? It was actually the Democrats. It yes. was the, the the Democrats, and and Obama um, uh, deported more people than any yep. other president. Yep. Right. The left. If the if the left comes behind Biden, they're not going to help Biden win. They're going to make no difference. No, but if the left right. comes behind Biden, what the left does is covers it themselves in the status quo. It tells those people who want fundamental change, that the left is for the status quo. Yeah. The left is for the present. And we can have nothing to do with this. It's the difference between voting for eating asbestos or actual cancer. Biden leads to Trump. Why, why did Trump uh, phenomenon exist? Because of the failures of the Democrats. That's what we've got to be clear for. And, and there is actually a huge constituency for a new socialist party in the United States. But isn't it also the failure of the socialist left that, that we're, we've got this choice between Trump and Biden? Yes, well, Bernie could have started a party. Bernie could have easily started a party. But the Democratic Socialists of America already exist. Yes, but they don't, they don't run electorally, yeah. Quite frankly, I remember in the 60s and 70s, there was a huge left in the states demonstrations were huge. You know, uh, the Fourth International was enormous, uh, way bigger than it is now. Um, and and we blew it, right? We blew it. Uh, and I think the left has to, the socialist left has to kind of look at its own um, its own processes here. We're, we're then asking, you know, some queer black trans person to put their life on the line um, and potentially have a fascist in the White House versus, you know, vote for the lesser evil, undoubtedly lesser evil and still evil, but that might just keep them alive um, because there's no other alternative alternative because right now there really isn't any other alternative electorally. Now I can see that that would be great, would be wonderful to have, um, but but I think, yeah, it's a failure of the Democrats, but it's also the failure of the left. And I, I, back to you, Alex, I want to just ask about AOC and that sort of nascent um, uh, group within the Democratic Party that call themselves socialists, including Bernie, um, that want to, yes, of course, and want to take that over. Is that not a potential to shift that party? What do you think? In the first debate, Biden said, I am the Democratic Party. 
The Democratic Party is me. And Biden was speaking the truth. Biden is the Democrat. Now, AOC, yes, they'd be an important part of a new socialist Labour Party in the United States. We've got to stop selling our tomorrows for today. And when the left failed, it's because they capitulated to the Democrats. That's why things are so bad. 54% of Biden voters aren't voting for Biden. They're voting against Trump. The majority of Americans are in favor of a third party. Uh, I, I think actually Bernie could have easily built it in 2016 um, and it would have been massively popular. People hate the status quo in the United States, utterly hate it. And, and we've got to start building it and stop to st got to stop capitulating. And that is actually the lesson of Germany. The fundamental difference in Germany in the 30s is that it was the socialists and the communists didn't unite. So yes, socialists and communists should unite against uh, far right and fascism, but the Democrats are not socialists. They are on the other side of the barricade and they have more in common with Trump than they have with us. Andrea, thoughts? Just a point though, just a point on 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 your on saying that Bernie could have built a successful uh, socialist party following the 2016. I I, I think I, I'm not sure if that's accurate. I mean, if you if you remember, like I've been I've been following this and Bernie's campaign and specifically very closely. And you know, even the whisper, even the the, the you know the him alluding to this, you know, he was pounced on at every at every corner um, in 2016 and. Again, this time, this time around, at the very notion of this idea, because he would take votes away from 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 the winning Democrat, um, split the vote, and guarantee Trump um, uh, a win, even before we knew who was going to be the Democratic leader. Um, I think that that for you know for a lot of people, for a lot of Democrats, uh, progressive Democrats, the Bernie Democrats, AOC Democrats, that was a scary idea. Um, the idea of alienating enough people to take the blame for putting a fascist in office. I, I'm, I'm not sure he would have wanted to take that risk. And may, maybe I'm putting words in his mouth, but. But if you follow this argument to its logical conclusion, then the NDP shouldn't exist and you should vote for the Liberals to keep out the Tories. People that's say the that about that, the NDP the too. That, yes, that's the game that Trudeau plays all the time. This 100%. This voting uh, game and we shouldn't fall for it in Canada and we should not fall for it in the United States. I, I, I don't disagree, but <laughs> it's great that we agree uh, on socialism. So let's move on. <laughs> and yes, I do. I absolutely. I do think that there's an incredible desire here as there for uh, certainly in the U.S. for a third party, uh, astoundingly so. And here, as we discussed earlier, for revamping of the third party that we have. So there's yeah. a desire for both. Um, moving on. So now we're back and I just, we got to talk about COVID because it's what everybody um, is on everybody's mind. We're in the midst of a pandemic here and we're in the second wave and you heard, well, you didn't hear this. I, I had a little chat pre-recording with, with Nora about it uh, in Quebec. Uh, it's one of the hotspots in Canada. I mean, it's absolutely through the roof. There are like hundred new cases a day and there's like 700 and something thousand people there. It's not a big place. So it's really bad um, uh, in a way it wasn't even in the first wave. Uh, here in Toronto, um, we've got outbreaks uh, as of this morning in St. Joseph's, St. Mike's, 
uh, Cam H, uh, Sunnybrook, St. Joe's, um, uh, and Toronto Rehab. So basically every hospital that you might want to go to for whatever reason has got it, has an outbreak in it. Um, And, uh, and, and we're now like, Oh, past four percent um, positivity rate in terms of testing, and as we all know, testing is abysmally low still, despite what the government says, and really difficult to get and slow to get uh, results on. And and Alex, you're a parent of, of children in school, um, and we know that um, our school system is there are cases coming out of that, and they're they're going up. Um, uh, you know what what to be done? Um, what to be done? Um, Andrew, why don't we start on? Uh, on this with you? Um, well, provincially uh, at the uh, in Ontario, we, we don't have a government that cares enough, that cares at all uh, about people and, and, and actually doing what is needs to be done to help people who are suffering during the pandemic. We, you know, as we've seen time and again, we see Charles McVitie using the pandemic to push through uh, policy and legislation that either makes money for his friends or, you know, maybe is a little bit of a patronage, um, you know, wish taking such as Charles McVitie wanting to make his Canada Christian College an actual university. What does this have to do with the pandemic? Why is he doing this? And ranked ballots. And ranked ballots is another one. Why does he keep, uh, what, what does, you know, disrupting the elections in Toronto have to do with responding to a pandemic? Nothing. He is, all he is doing is using the pandemic to, to slip through policy that, you know, would otherwise be unsavory for Canadians. You know, I, I just read before coming on, on the show today that there, that he's also trying to make it impossible for families to, um, to sue long-term care facilities whose, whose loved ones have died there. These, you know, effective concentration camps and he, he wants to make it so families can't have any justice. Um, none of these things have anything to do with getting money into the pockets of, of, of people who are suffering and, and making it easy um, for people who are sick uh, to recover. It's just disgraceful. Yeah. Alex. Absolutely. Yes. And uh, we, we met a month ago and the numbers were just trending up. And we said, look, we've got to uh, go back to stage two. We said that a month ago. And it took them weeks to get it done. And from like one or 200, we're now getting close to a thousand every day in Ontario. Uh, and, and this is actually stupid, even from an economic perspective, let alone a human perspective, because uh, when the infection is raging, people aren't going out and uh, they're not consuming. The economy doesn't work. So it, it even harms, their short-sightedness harms the economy. And yes, the most uh, abhorrent thing is in long-term care. 1,910 people have died in long-term care of COVID and it's coming back. It's already back in uh, many, many homes. And what are they doing? They're passing laws to immunize, not the residents, no, the private owners. They're immunizing them from prosecution. Totally scandalous. That's what they concern about is corporate profit. All of these homes need to be expropriated right now to save lives. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And so many people, so many more are going to die because of the profit driven uh, uh, ideology of this government. Just update your figures there. There's over 2000 deaths now and, <sighs> and the caseload is going up 8% a day across the sector in long-term care in Ontario. Uh, it's absolutely, uh, it's, it's uh, criminal and should be 
dealt with as such. The owner should be charged. Oh, yes. And uh, I mean, CBC did that article, 85% of them are in breach of the law anyway. Any other industry that, you know, they should be charged. And absolutely, it should be made public tomorrow. And who's um, at the helm of Chartwell? It's Mike Harris, former Premier of Ontario. Very quickly, we've only got a few minutes left and sadly um, not enough time today. We have to talk about Indigenous rights across the country under attack from coast to coast to coast. Absolutely. Um, without, a, without a doubt. Now, um, it was Louis Riel's birthday yesterday. Hey, rest in power. <laughs> um, if Louis Riel's spirit was alive and well, um, he would be at 1492 Landback Lane. Um, and he would be out on in Nova Scotia. And the wets, wets in NBC. And the problem here is, which is so glaring, is that these are law-abiding citizens just abiding the law of the land, and they're being attacked by the police, the state, and they're being mm. attacked by racists, and nobody is coming to their defense, even though they're upholding the law. Just very quickly, thoughts about this, and, and again, maybe what people can do. Andrea? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that, Canadians, uh, especially if you're in Ontario, get behind the activism and get behind the organizers at 1492 Landback Lane. Um, where right now there's a blockade, and it's been it's been it's been there for a while now. It sort of flared up last night because of the court case, the injunction uh, decision that came down. And if you read the the CBC article, had some incredible quotes from you know from this you know old, presumably old white judge, you could just hear like heavens to Betsy with every quote um, that he that he was saying, you know, just this idea that, you know, indigenous people um, must go through this, this colonial court system that is stacked against them at every turn. Um, and, and while they're trying to fight for their land, you know, the developer is moving ahead and breaking ground. Um, and, uh, and so I think it's, you know, Canadians need to get behind this. And Alex. Yeah, the hypocrisy is astounding. While the RCMP stand aside and allow racist violence to be used against the Mi'kmaq, the same police force is attacking indigenous people uh, in Caledonia and, and the Wet'suwet'en again this very week. Uh, the hypocrisy is incredible. And the fact is that all working class people, all oppressed people in the Canadian state face the same oppression. And so we need to unite with indigenous people and the labor movement needs to unite behind indigenous people and, and, and use every means, even strikes to uh, stop this oppression. Thank you both. And we'll look forward to next time, next month. It'll be fun. Thank you so much, guys. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Okay.